This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers, they're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Pre-recorded from Joe's mom's basement, welcome to another Rewind episode of The Stacking Benjamin Show. Hey everyone, I'm Griffin the Intern, or like the guy I might have upset with my recent TikTok video called me, the F-turn? Not sure what that means. Well, we did it. We made it through another eight weeks. Under different circumstances, I'd say that this year's flown by. I mean, think about this. The next time you hear from me, it'll be two weeks until Thanksgiving. But really, I might be going crazy. I'm sure I'm missing a good three weeks of memories in my brain. A guy can only take so many days of wake up, eat, stream, repeat, before you're going through the motions like Adam Sandler from that 2006 movie Click, and then wham, all of a sudden it's September. Seem random to you? You stream for three straight weeks and see what happens. But enough on that rant, because I've picked out a great roundtable episode for you featuring Len Penzo and Scott Allen Turner. Our topic could be considered divisive then, and maybe outright crazy now. Here was the big question. Should you have a mortgage in retirement? It made for a great roundtable then, and it'll be an interesting listen now with a 2020 perspective. Alright stackers, that's it for this week of Rewinds. Coming Monday, we'll chat with Dr. Joseph Cardillo, author of 12 Rules of Attention, How to Avoid Screw-Ups, Free Up Headspace, Do More, and Be More at Work. Think the guys will take this one to heart? Me neither. So by the way, I found Joe's mom here in Vermont. She said Joe's already left for the new basement. She fell asleep before she could tell me more. But I'm off on another great hunt to figure out where we're moving now. Thanks again for enjoying another great week of Rewind shows with me, and remember to disregard any investment advice or giveaways. The guys are back on Monday. Fintern out. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a big show, a real big shoe. Live from the place where dreams are made, if you dream about podcasting in a basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and on today's rockin' podcast, I've zipped myself into these leather pants, grabbed my electric guitar because rock and roll superstar of the personal finance podcasting world, Scott Allen Turner, joins us. Also, from an undisclosed location near Los Angeles and owner of LenPenzo.com, it's Charlize Theron. <laughs> I'm kidding, it's Len Penzo. And here he is. If Scott Allen Turner is the rock star of financial podcasting, he must be the Muzak King, Joe Saul Sehi. Hey, don't knock music until you've tried it, man. Great background music when you're toiling away in the basement. Hey, everybody, I'm Joe Salcihai, Average Joe Money on Twitter, and it is Friday. It's time for the weekend, and my favorite part of the weekend, putting on this podcast for you. Man, we got a great show today. We have some cool stuff that even Doug doesn't know about. How about that, Doug? On today's show at the halfway point, Thomas Smythe created a fintech app. You know how much we love 
showing you as many fintech products as possible. And once again, I'll just remind everybody, we don't endorse these. I just try to put as many as possible on the show so that you can see all the cool new stuff happening in financial planning because there are so many people with so many ideas. Well, you know all those subscriptions that show up on your credit card and you're like, oh, I should have canceled that a long time ago and I didn't. Well, Thomas Smythe and his band of merry men have created a an app trim and if you go to asktrim.com you'll see more about it but we're going to talk to them just briefly at the halfway point find out uh, exactly what the app does how thomas created it and uh, that's going to be exciting also on the show guess which stacky benjamin sponsor has a super bowl ad this year that's right sofi is going to be prominently placed on the super bowl Uh, as they work to build more name recognition for this company that's offering uh, some of the lowest rates and easiest ways to get loans. If you're a responsible person with your money, uh, man, they're the place to go. So they're on the Super Bowl, and we're going to talk to the star of their advertisement. Brandon Williams is a SoFi member. We're going to talk to him for a few minutes at the end of today's show. Uh, Not much about financial planning a little bit. We'll ask him a little bit about what he's going to use the SoFi loan for, and he's going to be open about that because I think that's going to be the, the what the commercial is actually about. But I want to talk to him more about how did he get chosen, uh, what was the taping like, and uh, what does he think about being a part of what a lot of people think is the best part of the Super Bowl. So that's exciting. That's it. We got a lot to do today, man. This is going to be fun. Let's get it moving. Let's walk across the basement here, dust off my dad's shortwave, see if we can get some of the greatest minds in financial writing. And today, again, podcasting. And guess what? It's the Guys Club today because we can't find Paula Pant. We have no idea where she is. So let's start off in Los Angeles, California, where Len Penzo's back. Dude. Joe, how are you, my friend? We missed you, man. I missed you. You know, it's a sometimes work calls, you know, it's like the day job pays the bills. Working for the man stinks. Yes, it does stink. It does, but I dream, I can dream and dream, and I do. Well, I was thinking, with all that money from the Len Penzo blog, you could tell the man (laughs) to go away pretty soon, couldn't you? Oh, yeah, probably next week. Yep, yep. (laughs) And I'm sure the honeybee is all about that. She keeps pushing. Yeah, she's putting out ads trying to get people to just click on my blog at every opportunity. (laughs) And we're super excited to have him here. Mr. Financial Rockstar Podcast himself, Scott Allen Turner, joins us from Dallas, Texas. What's up, Joe? I'm glad to be here. I don't know what you mean by greatest minds, though. Thanks for letting me fill in whoever that person was. (laughs) Yeah, they weren't available, so we got you at the very last second. No, man, I've heard the show. I'll tell you, you should be answering our listener letters because I think you do a way better job than we do. But tell everybody about your show. Sure. It's called the Financial Rockstar Podcast three times a week usually do a little intro segment on whatever I feel like talking about that day. And then I answer five or six user questions on a variety of personal finance topics, debt, investing, beginner stuff, money relationships with your partner or whatever, budgeting, all the basic stuff. Yeah, it's fantastic. And so here's the question everybody wants to know. So you've got that heavy guitar rock star open. Len, have you heard the start of Scott's show? Not yet, but I will right after we're done here. Yeah, so listen to this. He's got this rock star open, right? And then there's this big, like, rebel yell thing. And I don't know if that's Scott or if it's somebody that he's hired. I mean, is that part of the open, or do you do that every single episode yourself? 
No, I did it one time after about five takes, and then I just loop it in for every episode. That way I don't have to get my voice in key. I'm not a singer, but I can <laughs> scream with enough practice a few times. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, I did it once after five beers, not five oh, yeah. takes. Because <laughs> that's Len. Len has five beers at nights and lets out a rebel yell, but that has nothing to do with... <laughs> I'm on number two right now. That's right. All right. Let's take a look and see what we have on tap today. Our first story comes to us from MarketWatch. This is bad news. Americans are trapped in a cycle of financial insecurity. This story is by Quentin Fottrell. Nearly seven years after the Great Recession, millions of Americans are stuck in a financial rut. Homeownership rates are at a historic low. Renters are burdened by rising rents. And even though unemployment's fallen considerably in recent years, the percentage of underemployed Americans is twice those who are unemployed, according to the 2016 Assets and Opportunity Scorecard released a week ago by the Corporation for Enterprise Development. So, Len, I guess we'll start with you. Is this the system? Is this the man, you know, holding people down? Or is this people not taking control of their own life? What I think this is, is it's just the reality of where we're at right now, Joe. There's job security is not there right now for a lot of people. And that's just the way it is. You got to watch. You can't bank on having a long-term job. There's just a lot of movement. There's a lot of people are cutting costs. There's layoffs. And you can't count on a job working with the same company for 30 years anymore like you could in the old days. Scott, you don't work for the man. I think you're like me where you're self-employed. And I know that you've had several businesses. I hate both of you guys. (laughs) (laughs) I know you've had several businesses in the past. Are there new rules in this game called employment? I don't know if there's new rules. I think what people are coming to realize and even though most of them still don't, is that this job is not mine. Like Len was saying, I don't own this job. I don't have the right to employment. It's not in the constitution. It's a privilege that you have a job. And as more pensions are getting phased out, that job security is gone. We're just a mobile society now. People are moving around from place to place. You're not going to work in the same place for 10, 20, 30 years, your entire life. You might work in one place two or three years, and then it's on to the next job. And now with employers, they're more apt to you know, cut things in our economy, cut your jobs. So you have to be prepared for that as well. You mentioned people move around. You know who else moves around is the actual jobs, like my company, for example. If you're working in a high cost of living area, the companies are shifting and they're moving to lower cost of area states. Oh, wow. So even the jobs are moving. And sometimes you aren't able to move with the job. So that's another thing that's different. That's true. We have the Toyota National Headquarters opening up just up the street from me. And in Texas, there's tons and tons of businesses coming here, even despite the oil crash in the industry. But over around where I am, it's like developers are just cutting down any tree that they can find and putting up apartment complexes, new homes, really expensive mixed use places. And these huge companies are moving in here and bringing thousands and thousands of jobs. Yeah, and I'm on the other end. I'm in Southern California, and everybody's moving out because the cost of doing business here is just too much, and the companies can't compete. So that's something else that's different. I want to touch on something that Scott said earlier, which is that some people don't get it, right? Some people aren't getting the message. What are some of the signs that are showing up in people's, I guess, financial scorecard, your net worth statement or your budget that shows that you don't get it, Scott? One of the things is if you're not moving up within a company, you're not getting raises. And that could be something that's company-wide, not just for you as well. If you see that, all right, my raise this year was zero, or last year I got a raise of 1%. This year I'm getting 0%, or maybe I'm getting that 1%. 
you kind of get that writing on the wall. Some companies, they're pretty open about their finances with their employees, depending on the size of the company. Some keep it very close to the vest and they don't share that information because they don't want it going out in public. But if you see that, you see, all right, these people are, nobody's moving up the company. We're not hiring anybody. We're not getting the big contracts like we used to. Maybe I ought to think about doing something else, brushing up my resume, taking some extra online classes in the evenings, just in case. Len, did you ever think about starting your own business besides the LenPenzo.com empire? Yeah, no, that's one of my, I hate to use the word regret. I guess it is a regret. If I had to do it over again, I would encourage everybody. I think you're always better off working for yourself. I think the trade-off is early on in your career, you're not going to make as much. But I think you make it up in spades within five to 10 years once you've got your business on, you know, got it up and running. And if I had to do it over again, that's what I would have done. I think that looking at your resume all the time now is more important than ever, right? Like, what am I doing right now that's exciting that when I leave this job, it's going to be something that will give me the next opportunity? Scott, have you always worked for yourself? I've not. I was in the corporate world for almost 10 years And when I was transitioning from one, a Fortune 500 firm to a really small internet startup, a couple guys approached me and said, hey, we're starting this business. We're looking for a third partner to work for free because it was a bootstrap business. And I said, that sounds pretty interesting. They gave me equity in the company. And I pretty much worked for free for three years, evenings and weekends, building up that company. I was totally able to peel off from my corporate job and do that full time. How did you pay your bills during that time? It was through the corporate job. Ah, I got it. You were doing both at the same time. Exactly. Yes. That's a good way to do it. Let's move on to our second article from investopedia.com. How mortgage debt can derail retirement by Leslie Kramer. Most homeowners look forward to that day when they can finally make their last mortgage payment, she says, and truly call their home their own. Most financial advisors advise clients to try and reach that day before they hit retirement age. Scott, you answer questions on your show all the time. How important is it that people look to get their mortgage paid before they hit that retirement date? Oh, it's super important. I get people that are in their 70s saying, I'm coming up on retirement. I don't have any savings. I've got this mortgage bill. And they're nervous and they're scared. So any debt you have in retirement, it's just going to limit your options. All of us, we're pretty much one medical emergency away from just being in a bad situation. So if you don't have your mortgage paid off when you're approaching retirement, you can really torpedo things. As you get up in your age, your situations are going to change and you could have this big chunk of change out there that you're going to have to apply to that mortgage at some point. So you really need to start making some critical decisions really on what you're going to do about that. Downsizing is an option. Selling the big home to get into something smaller that you can pay cash for. Maybe you get a rent a place if you want to do that. Renting a home, you can always do that. You still get the home ownership without other responsibilities that go along with it. Len, when you retire, are you going to do that? You're going to move into a tent in a campground? No, I got my backyard bunker, Joe. <laughs> <Do you> remember? Joe, <laughs> I should have seen that one coming. As a matter of fact, you're welcome to come too. You're welcome to stay there too if you'd like. Right, the day the apocalypse comes, <laughs> which could be any day now. Of course. Yeah, so how important to you is paying off the mortgage early? Yeah, you know what? I'm the opposite, and I'll just say it, it's everybody's different. Personal finance is personal. In my case, I will not pay off my mortgage till I'm 76. And I'm fine with that. I have a very low mortgage. It's about 5% of my income. And so therefore, I'm not worried about it. And I have enough savings in the bank to fall back and make those mortgage payments. If something happens to, you know, I lose my job or what have you. So I have plenty of cushion. And so it's really not an issue for me. Why are you fine with that? When I think this article makes a good point that 
you know, and Scott makes a good point that mortgage debt derails lots of retirements. Well, it does. Again, I'll fall back and it all depends on how much of your income are you putting towards your mortgage? You know, what percentage of that income is, you know, in my case, it's very small. And I worked very hard to get my mortgage payments down over the past 10 or 12 years through multiple refinancings. So let me give you an example. I bought my house in 1997. I think my initial house payment was 1400 bucks. And through a series of just constantly refinancing, not taking cash out, but refinancing. And for a while there, I was paying down my loan to get my principal down, the overall mortgage total down. I'm now, you know, it's 600 bucks is my mortgage. And here we are, what, 18 years later. So my mortgage is almost a third of what I was originally paying back in 1997. It's like totally painless. I think if somebody's really concerned about their mortgage, Scott mentioned it, I think maybe you should be renting, you know, because it takes a lot of the stress out of worrying about that. It's funny because, Scott, it sounds like a little bit of what Len's doing is this arbitrage, right, where his mortgage is at a low interest rate. So best use of a dollar for him is taking that and investing it. And it sounds like what Len's saying is then using that money that he's invested to then pay the mortgage. Is that a dangerous situation to get into or is that something that somebody who's young could build this separate fund that's made to just make the mortgage payment so you don't have to? Yeah, I think when you're younger, you have a lot more flexibility and you have a lot more time to recover. So I can certainly understand the math behind that reasoning. I can put money in the stock market. I can earn my 10% over time. And I've got this 3% mortgage here. I'm going to get a 7% return in difference. And I could do that for 20, 25 years and then have the house paid off. For me, I paid off my mortgage in 2009, I believe. It was just a decision of, all right, we've got the money. I don't want to deal with this anymore. I just want that peace of mind that I'm never going to have a mortgage payment again. Mathematically, I know it's not the best thing to do. I, I can sit down on paper and prove you that it's not the best thing to do. But emotionally and mentally, it made sense for me. For getting back to this article, when you're getting to these people who are in retirement, they don't have the big cash cushion they can fall back on. So if I'm in a case where I've got, it's called a quarter million dollar house, I got a quarter million dollars sitting in a savings account. Sure, I'll keep a mortgage, keep throwing money in the stock market. And then if anything ever happens, I just pull the money out of the savings and pay off the mortgage in one fell swoop. But these guys here that are approaching retirement, guys and gals, they don't have that financing. They have it, everything's tied up in the stock market and it might be in risky investments rather than conservative ones. So they're putting everything at risk when they're making that choice. Yeah, let me make another comment too, Joe, if I could. So if you're racing to pay down your house, the risk there is, and you're making extra payments to that mortgage, the risk is what if you lose a job and you can't get rehired, Okay and the bank forecloses, all that money you've put into that house trying to pay down that mortgage ahead of time is gone. Whereas if you'd have just made your payments and then taken that money that the extra payments that you would have used to pay down the house and have it in your savings, you could have used that savings to weather the storm, so to speak. So, I mean, there's all kinds of games you can play. You really have to just sit down and think hard about what you want to do. But I do like what Scott's saying, that when you play those games when you're younger, certainly when you're in retirement, I think you should have a pretty conservative strategy. Yeah, by the time you get to retirement, you should have already planned out, right, where you should be when you get there. Yeah, so you got to start planning when you're young. We should also talk about every time you turn your microphone on, we got this noise in the background. That's them building the bunker right now, isn't it? <laughs> I'm sorry. No, that's it. We should just come clean. The gold line bunker is really being built at the Penzo residence, isn't it? It really is. So. <laughs> that's fantastic. I don't know if you know this, Scott, but the sky is falling. 
And <laughs> I do know this. Yes. And Len has successfully called nine of the last three stock market downturns. <laughs> so one of these days, hey, look, a broken clock is right even twice a day, right? So. But that's funny because you're so conservative about that, right? About your money and being responsible with your money. And then this, for you, Len, seems to be a little bit of an aggressive strategy with your mortgage. Well, it's not aggressive. I've measured the risk. I have enough savings. If I wanted to, I could pay my house off from my savings. You see what I'm saying? I mean, I've worked this all out when I was much younger. So yeah. there's no risk to me at all. Well, all week long, you have been listening to some of our favorite topics here on the Stacking Benjamin Show. And if you've listened to us for any length of time, you know that we like to mix it up with something completely different on Wednesday than we talked about on Monday, because there's so many aspects to finance. But as you know, there's also a ton of different aspects to life. And that's why we're excited that this episode's brought to you by the Jordan Harbinger Show, a podcast that you should definitely check out because you're sitting here listening to us and you like a high quality, fascinating podcast hosted by interesting people. And by the way, I love what I just read. Of course, we're fascinating. Duh. It's the stacky bench. Of course, I'm a very interesting person. Jordan covers uh, such a wide range of topics through weekly interviews with heavy hitting guests that you never know what's coming next. There's a ton of episodes rooted in the business and tech space. So if you like being surprised, you like getting ahas where you didn't expect them and you love the type of stuff that we talk about here, you're going to love the Jordan Harbinger show. Our friend Jordan had a gentleman on recently named Ray Dalio. Of course, his book Principles, absolutely a fantastic book. He also has some feedback episodes and questions. And the way Jordan answers questions are just phenomenal. He had a question just a few episodes ago about, was I unknowingly a sugar daddy? A gentleman going out with a woman. He helped her pay for all of her stuff. And then the second she was done with school and he helped her pay for most of it, uh, she broke up with him. So he's wondering where that went. Also, people like uh, Tom Wainwright talking about how to run a drug cartel. Amanda Knox, who of course was in the news for a long time, talking about true crime. And people like Neil Brennan, Kelly McGonigal, Bob Saget, Bill Nye, Mark Cuban, Gary Kasparov. You never know what you're going to get. But I can tell you this, Jordan's always going to ask them great questions. And the one constant is Jordan has this ability, this amazing ability to pull useful pieces of advice from his guests. And I promise you, you'll find something useful something you can apply to your own life, whether that's an actionable routine change to boost your productivity or maybe just a mindset tweak that changes how you see the world. Of course, we really enjoy Jordan's show. We think you will as well. Search for the Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R-B, B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. That's the Jordan Harbinger Show. Try it out and subscribe as soon as you're done listening to us. All right. You know what? Let's transition over here to the cart table and let's talk to Mr. Thomas Smythe about some new fun tech fun. This is a cool product. And Thomas Smythe joins us in the basement. Welcome, man. Thanks for having me on. This I'm, is awesome. Uh, well, I'm, I'm so excited because you are a guy that was a venture capital guy working with fintech, huh? 
I was, and I would always look out at the horse race and go, God, I really want to be one of those horses <laughs> running around the track <laughs> and doing the actual work, right? And now and with so Trim, myself, you are. Hey, maybe I even have some ideas, yeah. <laughs> How does it feel going from that cushy uh, f- fintech um, uh, venture capital job to actually being on the other side where you're begging for your next meal? You know, it's funny because it's going from being in a plane at 30,000 feet looking out the window to being like underground in a bunker <laughs> facing a computer screen coding away frantically, right? It is it is really, really fun. My co-founder and I are having a blast. Well, so let's start there. How did you guys get the idea for Trim? Was it that you saw an opportunity in the marketplace when you were working in that business or was it, you know, you were upset about something happening with your own personal finances? You know, yeah, I wish I could say I had a really sophisticated market analysis and, you know, the technology uh, was finally at a point where it made sense to take advantage of a huge new opportunity. No, this is totally personal. I looked at my own credit card statement and I saw this subscription for Hulu that I signed up for once, like four months prior to watch one show, right, with my girlfriend. And there was like a 30 day free trial. And so I said, oh, I will certainly cancel within the next 28 days. And then I didn't. And then it hit me for like, you know, $7.99 for three, four months. And I was like, man, that is really silly. So I was telling this to my friend, Dan, who is now my co-founder. And I said, hey, take a look at your credit card statement, you know, see if this happened to you too. So he looks on it. I kind of look over his shoulder and I go, Dan, wow, renter's insurance. You are really a model citizen here. That is something that I should have and don't. And Uh, you know, I'm really impressed that you're so responsible with your personal finances. And he says, Thomas, that's actually from an apartment in Seattle that I moved out of two years ago. (laughs) (laughs) So like we're looking at each other and we're like, man, I wonder if other people have this problem. So we call up our friends and say, hey, send us your credit card statements. And for better or for worse, they do. And we look through it and it turns out everybody had something, you know, whether big or typically small and very small, so small they didn't even notice that they either weren't really using or had been meaning to cancel or forgot to cancel or never even knew they signed up for in the first place. So we thought, hey, that's interesting. Yes, fantastic, because I think that's better than market analysis. I mean, we've talked about this before on the show about about something I was reading recently, Mark Cuban being a early investor in a company and they had done all these, these, you know, charts and stats about how they were going to make their company a unicorn. And Mark Cuban looked at them and said, you know, I wish you would have just launched a year earlier, right? It, it, exactly. Instead done something that people really wanted. So how does trim actually work? What's the, let's get into the crunchiness of it. How does it go in and find out what you're subscribed to and, and uh, then what happens? Yeah. So it's really easy. So you log in just like Mint.com with your online bank credentials, your bank sends us a read-only access token for the past 90 days of transaction history. Which is important, by the way. Algorithm. I want to yeah, yes. uh, stop there, Thomas, because read-only yeah, means course. you don't have access to get into people's bank account. Never. Yes. And, you know, what's funny, there's this misperception out there that giving someone your credit card number is, like, more secure than giving them your online banking credentials, exactly the opposite. Never, ever. I woke up the other morning and someone emailed me their credit card number in the clear, all 16 digits. And I replied, I was like, oh my goodness, like, please never do this again. I'm deleting this email immediately. Like, make sure this gets deleted out of your account. This is so, so unsafe. But the way that we've set up the logging in with your bank account credentials, it's like logging in with Facebook on a site, right? Right. And so you give like very limited access to limited information. 
and they can't change anything. They can't do anything. So I, I wish there were, you know, I think that folks uh, who are a little bit younger are accustomed to this because of Mint and Level Money and Bill Guard and so on and so forth. And for other folks, if it's your first time doing it, you're like, oh, wait, how does this work? But uh, I think it's just a process of kind of educating people about that difference. Yeah. So then anyway, and I didn't mean to, well, I did mean to stop you because I just want to make that no, point clear because that's it's a big an point. It's important detail. Yeah. All right. So you log in, our little machine learning algorithm automatically scrapes through all those hundreds or thousands or now in aggregate, we have millions of transactions and identifies all of the subscriptions and recurring payments that are hitting your credit card or your debit card. Then we send a list of those to you in a text message. Okay, we're trying to make this like as easy as possible. So you don't have to wait around. Sometimes it takes some time to connect to your bank. You don't have to wait for us. Have us go and do the work and, you know, go get a coffee or like watch TV or whatever. We send you this text of subscriptions. And most people look at it and go, oh, wow. I had no idea that I was paying for that still. Cancel Audible. And they reply back with a text message that says cancel Audible or cancel Hulu or cancel Experian or whatever the case may be. And then, and here's the best part, after that, you do nothing. We go and we cancel it for you. And that, I think, is the revolutionary part about what we're doing, that we're a a personal finance company of sorts that is actually working for you rather than telling you what to do, right? Yeah, so you don't have to do anything. You just tell us to do and what to do, and then we'll go do it for you. I love being lazy, Thomas. Same here, and so do <laughs> three hundred million other Americans. Right? Like <laughs> no one will object to having something be a little bit easier, especially when it's in a topic as painful and onerous and confusing as personal finance. So, so two quick questions: If it's if it's free to me to sign up, then how do you guys make money? We are fortunate to have a long runway provided by our venture capitalist friends who say, focus on growing. If you can get people to use a a free product, then they will probably be likely to use a bigger product that you actually pay for later on. So in about a year, I would guess, we will plan to offer a premium version. So some people say, hey, this is great. I love what you've done with my subscriptions and recurring payments. What about every single other financial question I have, right? What about my budget? Like I need a financial coach or a financial planner. I wanted to talk to someone once a quarter to like go over my books. And we say, wow, that's really interesting. That's a lot more than we could do with software. That sounds more like a premium service. So we've got a long way to go in developing that. Our primary concern right now is just trying to get the word out about what we have. Uh, and getting a lot more people to use it. It's like building trust at the beginning. It is. And the great thing is that the software is almost free for us to operate, right? I mean, with like minimal server costs, everything's on the cloud. You know, this, it doesn't make sense to charge people for something that's basically free for us to run. The, the, the other question I have for you was, you already have to have some just awesome success stories or stories that were horror stories. What are some, some, are there any stories you can tell us about people who save just gigantic amounts of money? Sometimes people come in and they cancel one subscription that is like two or $300. So we had a guy who was paying monthly for a valet parking service, an on-demand valet parking service here in San Francisco. And he was paying $199 a month 
to have the ability to call someone to like park his car at any time. Okay. Crazy stuff. So he's like, oh, I should probably unsubscribe from this. And so in one fell swoop, we save this guy like 2,400 bucks a year. Right. And then at the other end of the spectrum, there are people who cancel five, six, seven, eight subscriptions that are all small, that are all like 1299, you know, but you add that up and it begins to look like a really meaningful dent in your monthly expenses. So uh, the, the most interesting folks have been people who I think have tried a lot of different services in the subscription economy. So you've, you've seen all these startups that offer you, you know, a box of rocks coming to your door <laughs> once a month, right? For $12.99. <laughs> people love that stuff. And so it's very easy to sign up for those things. And I think for some people, we've allowed them to uh, uh, cut back on their obsession. Oh, that's really exciting. And people get it. Uh, what's the website? It's asktrim.com. Asktrim.com, and we will link to that in our show notes at stackingbenjamins.com. Thanks for coming on, man. Thanks for having me. Great to chat. Hey, big thanks to Thomas again for stopping by the basement. Uh, we'll have a link to Ask Trim on our show notes. And once again, we don't we don't advocate any of these uh, products that we put on. Just want to show you, once again, all the cool stuff happening. Want to be very clear about that uh, because our goal definitely is uh, to talk about all the cool stuff happening, but it, it definitely is is not uh, advocacy of any any one of these. All right, uh, let's move back into our awesome discussion with Len and Scott. I like this part. I just want to go toward the bottom of the article where they talk about people's views on debt differing by generations because I found this really interesting and so true. People's perception it has changed people live through the depression try to avoid debt at all cost and baby boomers often they see a credit card and fall in love it just seems very strange to me that how did this change happen anybody want to pontificate or try to guess why people's feelings about debt change is it because baby boomers are used to credit cards from the time that they were kids I think it's because money come too easily for a lot of people I think credit has been cheap and I just think people have forgotten about how hard things can really get, like around the Depression era, right? So yeah. we just haven't lived through some really hard time. We've been very fortunate and blessed. I'm reading these stories, Scott, that, you know, millennials are, a lot of millennials are afraid of the stock market and they're afraid of the term investing. And they don't really look at saving into a 401k as investing, right? They're just putting money away for retirement. Do you see that millennials are also equally as afraid of debt? Well, the reason they're afraid of investing is they saw what their parents went through in 08 and 09 when a lot of them lost huge chunk, well, half their 401k. So that's how much the market went by. And some lost even more than that. They had invested in their individual company stocks and they saw those tank. But now you've got these millennials, 20 and 30 years old. They got massive amounts of student loan debt when they're coming out of college and they're stuck living at home with mom and dad. So they do have a different view on debt as opposed to older generations because they've got more of it. And they don't have the same opportunities because I've got all these student loans. I may have credit card debt or might not. I'm living with mom and dad and my job situation is pretty bleak. Maybe I'm working at Starbucks right now and I'm a barista and that's the best I've got going right now. So they have a viewpoint of maybe I don't want to take on any more debt. I'm going to live with mom and dad or I'm going to rent. I don't want to take on home ownership as well and I'm kind of okay with that. I also don't want to stay away with investing because I saw what happened to mom and dad. I don't want that to happen to me. So I'm just going to stick my money in a savings account and just not do anything with it. That's just absolutely horrible. Just sends my stomach into knots when I hear that. 
But it does say to me, though, it does say to me that all of this change we're talking about, not just about debt, but also about employment, the cash reserve is more important than ever, don't you think? It is, especially when you're going out on your own, you're ready to get your first house, you're moving in, you need to have that reserve for an emergency in case something happens, you become temporarily disabled or you end up losing your job. Maybe you're not a good employee. (laughs) You got to have that little fallback so that you can survive for three, six, nine months, however much that you've set aside. Student loans, you you can put those in deferment or forbearance. So that's a little helpful there if you're in that situation, but you definitely need to think about having that buffer, first of all, before you go out and put the down payment on the house. Len, you talk to your kids about having an emergency fund? Yes, I do. Especially, you know, at their age right now, that's the first thing they should have is that they've got to have, like like Scott said, they've got to have a cushion for when something bad happens. They don't have a lot of room for error when you're just starting out. So, yes, it's extremely important. And yes, I talk to them about it all the time. Let's move on to our third piece, which has to do a lot with Valentine's Day right around the corner, gentlemen. So these are some Valentine's Day gifts that will end your relationship We got three guys here talking about Valentine's Day. This is going to be a train wreck in itself, I'm sure. Len, the first one on this list of Valentine's Day gifts that kind of stink are sex checks. Have you ever tried to give your wife a sex check, like good for one later? Yeah, and she always says the account's overdrawn. So, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, uh, no. <laughs> it just seems but, like but a, you know what I am going to give that a go, and I'll let you know how that goes on the next episode. Which is got the real reason Len's having the bunker build is because he's going to be living there. <laughs> the second he rolls out the sex check, is the sex check how the Turner twins were created? Hey, I'm going to have a buy one get one free, so we'll see how that works too. <laughs> a buy one get one free sex check? <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't say buy. I thought you were going to say like get a, one get one free. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Get one, get one free. Is that like bring a friend? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> she might be offended by that too, Len. Uh, something just tell I'm not an expert in that area, but something just says it is. So, Scott, back to my question. Is that how the twins were created, the Valentine's Day sex check? No, definitely not. Though I think one year I did give the free coupon for a massage, not from the professional, like from my own hands. But thankfully, it never got cashed out. So I don't even know what happened to that one. Cheryl has a little thing, one of those notepads that stick to the refrigerator, and it has a photo of a woman with two baby carriages next to her, and it said, all I wanted was a back massage. (laughs) Just exactly. Yeah, well, that's how it all gets started. Yep. It's all downhill from there. Number two on this list, giving somebody a gym membership. Everybody wants a gym membership, but nobody wants to be told they need one. (laughs) Len, have you ever told anybody, you know, you should firm up. (laughs) Well, I guess I've been told that <laughs> by the honeybee. Yeah. Would she ever give you a gym membership for Valentine's Day? Hey, let me tell you something. I used to work from 18 to 45. I was religious with working out. Then I started the blog and something had to go. And so the gym, so that was the gym membership. <laughs> you started the blog, wasn't it? Exactly. Because you hated the gym. Hey, you got to give me credit. I don't know what I did. What is that? 27 years faithfully. I hardly missed. Scott, is there any tactful way to give a gym membership as a gift? No, absolutely not. And I actually have a couple of friends who have kind of bribed their wives with gifts. Say, hey, you know, you can get this if you'll agree to go to the gym. Well, really? Occasionally. But you know that it never worked out. <laughs> the, the lady got the gift, but she never went to the gym. <laughs> 
I'd say she'd get the gift and she'd also give him a gift of like a punch. <laughs> Black the, eye. <laughs> yeah, right. Punch to the throat. Third gift that will end your relationship is porn. Either of you guys ever give your significant other porn for Valentine's Day? No, that would not fly in the Turner household. <laughs> for Valentine's Day? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Let's split in hairs now. Yeah. For Valentine's Day? Yeah. <laughs> no. Cheryl and I walked into one of those shops where you get like sexy stuff a few years ago, like three or four years ago. And we stayed in there maybe four minutes before we just walked out. Like, yeah, I can't. With I what? Can, with nothing. <laughs> just oh, bull. Like, yeah, that bull. No Come on, Joe. The number four. We'll, we'll, move, <laughs> we'll move on, Lud. Yeah, Sleepwalk With Me on DVD. Not a great. Have you guys seen that movie, Sleepwalk With Me? No. I've never even heard of it. I never I heard of it that. either. Oh, it's a fantastic movie. Mike Birbigli is a funny comedian. He's the star. And it's his true story about, and it's a relationship that goes south. So nothing better than to give your significant other movie about a relationship that's headed to the <laughs> dumpster. You know, uh, I had a bad case of Birbigli back when I was a teenager. Did you I get it cleared up? Yeah, a little penicillin cleared it right up. Fast acting to acting? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Number five on this list. How romantic is this, guys? The, <laughs> the tandem glove where you can hold hands because you're both wearing the same glove. I'm sure, Scott, you've given that to Mrs. Turner. As soon as I saw that, I thought, why didn't I think of that? <laughs> <laughs> it gives new meaning to the love glove statement. <laughs> yeah, it's either that or the dual Snuggie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. In all seriousness, what's the best Valentine's gift you ever gave Mrs. Turner or anybody for that matter? The best one. Let's see. My wife, I talked to her about this today. She actually appreciates it when I just make plans ahead of time and get something lined up, a restaurant and all the babysitting. Now I've got it so ingrained in my mind. It's like when January 1st rolls around, I'm always posting to Facebook, hey guys, make your Valentine's Day reservations today, six weeks out because all good restaurants are going to fill up. So as soon as January rolls around, I'm like, looking through the magazine for the good restaurants in the area to make the reservations early. Great recommendation. Len, how about you? Was it this number six on the list, the 50 Shades of Grey toy collection? <laughs> Was that the best gift? Well, I'm looking at all got? the things in here, and I think I have in my drawer about, well, let's see, there's probably like handcuffs, whips, chains. There's probably 30 objects here. I think I have 26 of them. Excellent. You're only four away. <laughs> I'm checking every box. What's the best gift you ever gave to Mrs. Penzota, the honeybee? Oh, gosh, Joe. I'm terrible. It's just, Come the, on. It's just the usual stuff. You oh. know, the, the dinner out, probably. It's just not one of my big holidays. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, but you know what's funny? OG said on our Wednesday episode, said that he did that for like eight years, the first eight years of his relationship. And he's like, and that just never went well. I tried to pretend Valentine's Day didn't exist. And it just didn't work out the way I'd hoped. So, you know, what complicates in my household is it's the honeybee's birthday, like five days before Valentine's Day. And then my birthday is like three days after Valentine's Day. So, I mean, there's too much going on. It all gets lost in the shovel. I always forget that, Len. But we've had this conversation before. My birthday is two days after Valentine's Day. Oh, that's right. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That's right. This is the age of Aquarius, baby. Yes, it is. It is. Baby. Yes. Right. All right. <laughs> Enough of that. We'll have the rest of this list for people. We won't go into fresh balls and Thank instructional God. TED Talks, <laughs> a Visa gift card, a snake. Give somebody a snake if you know what I mean, right? <laughs> well, I am, the fresh balls does have a little bit of intrigue. I may have to check that out and report back on that too, Joe. 
Uh, I'll link to these in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk about what's going on at your place as a business. Len, what's happening over at Lenpenzo.com? Oh, I, Joe, I, you're asking me a hard question. I don't know if people come over to lenpenzo.com and just see what I got going. You know, I did have just recently, I had, are you smarter than a fifth grader? I went to Staples and bought a couple items. I didn't look at the price tag. And when I got to the checkout stand and saw the total, I just about my jaw dropped to the floor. So I'm asking my readers to guess how much these items that I bought cost. And everybody's having a good time taking the stab. So come on over and you can take a stab too. I'll link to that in our show notes. And Scott, what's happening soon on Financial Rockstar? You know, I figured the quickest way for me to double the number of my listeners from five to 10 is to (laughs) focus on pop culture. So coming up, we've got an episode where I'm going to have Oprah in the title and also the Kardashians. They may not even be mentioned in the podcast, but as long as I put them in the title, (laughs) the numbers are going to go up. (laughs) It's all marketing, baby. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) that's so awesome. I can't wait. And we'll link to the show also in the show notes and you can listen wherever you listen to podcasts, right? I mean, Stitcher, iTunes, wherever. Correct. Yes. Yeah. Awesome. And if people follow you on Twitter, I'll have that on the show notes as well. If they follow you on Twitter, you've got a cool thing that we don't even use, which is people can listen to the show right from social media, which is cool. I got to start doing that. You're making me look bad, man. (laughs) (laughs) Hop on it. It's a cool thing to do. (laughs) I know. Thanks for hanging out with us. My pleasure. I enjoyed it. All right, guys. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks, Drew. All right. That's going to do it for this week, everybody. Hey, we play a game on these Friday shows. Game, you say? What is this game thing? Well, let me tell you what this game thing is because OG's not here with me on Friday, which is why I entertain myself by creating a game that you might be the next winner of. Here's how it works. Take a look at the show description Take a look at the title of the show and the first couple minutes, and you will find hidden in there somewhere a hint. And we started a couple weeks ago on Friday. This is only the Friday shows. And then you put those hints together, one word each week, until it forms a question. If you're the first person to answer that question, joe at stackingbenjamins.com, we will hook you up with a $20 Amazon gift certificate and a prize package that we put together specifically for you. And by the way, Johnny, who won our last game, Johnny, I just sent out your prize pack and uh, you're going to love that. So uh, that took me a little while. I've been out of the office a lot, but Johnny, your prize pack is on the way, brother. And hey, our sponsor, SoFi, is doing something cool. And you'll notice we didn't talk about them earlier in the show. You know why? Because the cool thing they're doing is that they are running a Super Bowl ad. How cool is that? And we are pleased that we had an opportunity for just a couple minutes to talk to him about his experience getting uh, a spot on the Super Bowl. How awesome is that? Uh, Let's talk to him right now. And on my dad's shortwave, Brandon Williams joins us. Welcome to the party, man. Hey, thanks, Joe. I'm happy to be here. So today we get you on Friday, which is awesome because on Monday, we're going to have to stand in line to get your autograph. How does that feel? <laughs> uh, you know, I don't. I, this is my 15 seconds of fame, so I don't think that anyone's <laughs> going to recognize me, to be honest. I mean, there's so there's going to be so many celebrities that, that uh, cross people's screen via the commercials on Super Bowl Sunday that. They won't recognize the SoFi guy. That's funny because let's talk about the making of a Super Bowl commercial because most of us have no idea what goes into this. How did SoFi contact you? I mean, with all the people that are out there, how did they pick you? Do you have any idea how that happened? 
You know, I'm I'm not exactly sure. I know SoFi has a lot of social events. Right. Uh, we had a we had a happy hour that was for members, and uh, it was great. We just kind of socialized and networked. And uh, at the event, there were a few marketing people. And they uh, asked if anyone would like to be a part of any marketing campaigns. But you know, surely, I, I said yes, but surely I had no idea that it would be this big. So, <laughs> um, you know, and over the course, it happened very quickly. And uh, I think over the course of about two weeks, they shot eight commercials. So it was very, it was very interesting, but I'm not really sure how I was selected or why. Was uh, Dan Macklin there, our friend Dan, who's on the show quite a bit? Um, you know, at the shooting, no, no, he wasn't. It was, uh, they had a professional uh, team that came out and, and pretty much managed the whole process. They, they outsourced the majority of it. Uh, Mark Forster was the director of the commercial. He also did uh, World War Z and Monsters Ball. He's a pretty big director so they really didn't uh, hold any punches on this com- on this marketing campaign so they came they came to you or did you fly up to them well to actually um interview before i got the, uh, a chance to come out and shoot it, it was just via um webex so you know it's just yeah. an interview interview in my living room with a laptop and uh and basically that's how that's how they they decided that they wanted to use me for the commercial that's awesome. You have such a such a cool story. Tell everybody a little bit about your story that you're going to tell on Sunday. Okay, yeah. Well, basically, I needed a uh, a loan in order to renovate a property that I acquired in San Diego, and uh, I was looking for different options out there. And you know, there was a lot of different personal loan companies, but basically, SoFi was the only one that didn't have. Uh, a lot of initiation fees and the lowest rates. So I decided to go with them. Um, my story is I bought a condo and it really was outdated. There's asbestos in the popcorn ceiling and old moldy carpet. So there were a lot of renovations that needed to be done. And I also have a, a multifamily building in Ohio and a little bit of credit card debt with high interest rates. So I could save quite a bit if if I refinance with one monthly payment at a lower rate. So I was looking for a lot of different options and I actually came across SoFi from uh, Credit Sesame, which is a credit monitoring uh, uh, app. So I I used them, they suggested it. I started to do a little due diligence and I realized, you know, the concept of of, uh, merit-based lending, which, which is basically what SoFi was founded on. This is cool. Was this, so this was not your home that you were trying to renovate it was a rental property well no i have a rental property but no this is my home got it okay yeah so but uh i I did a a few things to the rental property as well but uh those are mostly you know things that fundamentally needed to be done to the property in order to make it more insurable uh so yeah the renovations were for were for my condo this is exciting because, you know, a lot of people out there are thinking about renting real estate. I just want to talk just a second about that, if you don't mind, Brandon. What made you first get into rental property? How did you see that as something for you? Um, I just, it's just, it's, especially the market that I'm in, it, it just consistent cash flow. Uh, I like the idea of having something tangible instead of a security where, you know, or a bond where it's just like a piece of paper that you own and you get a check in the mail. Uh, it's, there's actually something tangible behind real estate. And I work for a commercial real estate information firm, uh, uh, co uh, group. So I, I have, I had access to a lot of different properties via that network. And uh, I came across a property where, uh, you know, it's, it's had long-term tenants and, you know, it, it's a, um, 
you know, it's a brick masonry building. So there wasn't a lot of uh, maintenance. And I did my a little due diligence and decided that it was the right asset for me. And it's been great. You know, the tenants have been really good. The property management team does a lot for me. And uh, I really don't have to, to, to do a lot of hands-on. You know, there's a few things that I have to do every now and then, but for the most part, it's, it's, been a, it's been a pleasant experience. When you first started, are there any mistakes that you made that people listening to this can kind of avoid because they heard, heard this? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, you know, as far as I didn't, when I first got a property, I didn't realize that the inspection and the, uh, was based off of the number of units. So, oh. uh, you know, you look, you look to see the different, the different properties and everyone wants to go for the, for the highest unit number because they think that's going to translate into more money. And it really, it's not necessarily true. You know, I, I started to, to really get into what the cap rates were, what the rate of return is, what the, uh, gross rent multiplier was on these multifamily properties and realized that the smaller unit ones with the long-term tenants actually have a greater, you know, return with a lower risk. So uh, one of, you know, one of the mistakes that I, that I made was just constantly going after properties that were higher in the unit count. Another thing is, you know, you get things that are under four units, four units are under, and you can use FHA financing. You only have to put three, 3.5 to 5% down as opposed to 20% for the higher units. So uh, I was able to find some an, an owner that uh, was able to carry part of the note because he owned the property outright. So I was able to do some some a different form of financing there. But you know, there's always there's always things that can come up. And also, you know, when you're buying multifamily, you should probably have reserves right. ready. You know, because things things come up right. all the time, <laughs> all, all the time. So kind of have to be prepared for that. And, how many um, how many two a.m. calls have you made? You know, I have a good property management team that kind of eases me into those calls uh, and they realize they're sensitive to the fact that there's a time difference. So, you know, I haven't had too many, I haven't had too many of those, thankfully, uh, not, not quite yet, but I'm sure they're, I'm sure they're on the horizon. All right. So last question, are your friends already threatening, like, uh, you know, not to talk to you if your ego is all big after this weekend? You know, I've, I've always been pretty well rooted. I'm not, gonna, I'm not, I'm a pretty humble guy, you know, and, and also the, the, just the realization that we're in the, the information era and with the internet and, you know, people have a short memory in this, in this day and age. So I don't, I'm not gonna, I'm going to be pretty well rooted. My friends are going to know that I, I'm always a pretty humble guy, you know? Well, I got to say, we're still happy to know you two days before the event, man. Thanks. <laughs> thanks for hanging out with us tonight. Yeah, th- no, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here with you. StackyBenjamins.com forward slash S-O-F-I. And I love it. I love that both of our sponsors are doing awesome stuff. You know, Magnify Money, our other sponsor, uh, was featured a couple weeks ago on the Today Show and on Good Morning America in a quick uh, two days. I mean, to be on two out of the three morning shows in just a couple of days. Very awesome because they say it's great who you're surrounded by, right? That that's uh, you're more likely to be successful if you're surrounded by successful people. And I feel very proud that we're we're surrounded by these two sponsors. Hey, speaking of successful Let's talk about who's going to be on next week because we've got an exciting lineup for you. On Monday, the author of the book, My Electrician Drives a Porsche with a question mark, Gianni Kovacevic. 
uh, Gianni coming down to the basement to talk about contrarian and alternative investing and his basic premise Everything that you buy comes with a cord. So if you want to track success in the future with your investments, you have to track energy. He's all about energy. He's going to make the case for investing in energy. Of course, oil's been hot, but is that the only thing you should be tracking? He makes a lot of key uh, arguments about that. One of the arguments he makes is that you should surround yourself by successful people in the area that you want to invest in. So if you're going to get personally involved in your investments, you need to take the time to dig deep and surround yourself with excellence. And so we decided to dig deep when it came to one area that he talks about, which is alternative energies. And one of the champions of solar out there, and somebody should follow if you're interested in solar, is Elena Lucas. Elena runs a company called Utility API. Let me tell you how deep in the weeds we go. So we found out that Elena is one of the people you need to follow because she's on top of where that ball is headed, which if you stop following in 2011, when a lot of solar companies went under, you'll, you won't know the whole story on solar because solar's changed a ton. And I'm sure she's going to talk about that. But when it comes to alternative energy, Elena's company, Utility API, is on the bleeding edge. She's going to talk about who you should follow, what you need to know, uh, how alternative energy is working. So there's two ways to play this. If you're interested in investing, Elena is somebody to know. If you're not interested in investing, but you're interested in just where energy is headed for your house, things like the nest or not even solar, but wind power. I'm sure we'll talk about water. We'll talk about all the different types of energy out there, how the grid works. Elena Lucas Uh, is going to talk about energy consumption on Wednesday. Exciting thing for any investor or somebody just running a household that wants to be efficient. Then on Friday, for those of you longtime listeners, you may know that Dominique Brown used to be a member of our roundtable. Dominique, of course, from Your Finances Simplified. Uh, Great guy on helping people work on their credit and cleaning up their credit issues. Uh, He's also a, a financial advisor, certified financial planner, Dominique Brown coming down to the basement. That's what we've got next week. I'm so excited about it. But first, I'm excited about the weekend. So we'll see everybody back here on Monday with Gianni Kovacevic. Stacking more Benjamins. See you then. This show is the property of the Free Financial Advisor, LLC, copyright 2016. It's created by Joe Saul Cihai, produced by Brent Selmans, and edited by Isabella Bianca. Scott Allen Turner appears courtesy of the Financial Rockstar Podcast. You'll find the show wherever you listen to podcasts or at scottallenturner.com. Special thanks to Joe's mom for helping me figure out how to get out of these leather pants. Apparently, leather must shrink a ton over a 20-year period because I'm still the same amazing specimen of a man I've always been. What was that? It's called the medium sketch. The medium sketch? Yeah, it wasn't rare and it certainly wasn't well done.
Well, Stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is Military Appreciation Month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans, and all branches of the military, veterans, DOD, employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.